think we should always try and be positive because every challenge is an opportunity. No one gets growth. No one ever built a skyscraper or climb Mount Everest by sitting in their comfort zone. Purpose Tea Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. A really warm welcome to Purposey with Josh Hickford, CEO of the Taranaki Foundation. Appointed two years ago, Josh has had a fascinating journey into the nonprofit sector. He's an accountant by trade. Josh has overcome cancer. He's founded his own app, supporting people going through the same thing. I really enjoyed my conversation with Josh. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you're on Spotify, whatever platform you're on, please hit follow. It really helps me to get the message out there. Enjoy my conversation. Josh Hickford, welcome to Pepsi Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really good to connect. And you're the CEO of the Taranaki Foundation. What's its vision? What's its mission? Yeah, so I've, I've got a different view on explaining this. Obviously, we do have a vision, a mission, purpose, values, etc. And, and I will I will run through those. And that it really is to be a renowned foundation, which means to hopefully be well known. That gives that legacy option here in Taranaki. And ultimately, that should lead to being a prosperous Taranaki for all. And the word prosperous can mean different things to different people. So that's up for interpretation. How we do that is just through our purpose, which is to inspire a culture of giving and sharing. And the word inspiration, I think, is really important because you do need to inspire people to change culture. But if you strip back your vision and vision and purpose, when I'm out there talking to all the, the proud Taranaki people out there, my, my one goal for the foundation is really to become a household name. So if you become a household name, then your vision, your mission, your purpose all sort of will align and wrap up. And we want people talking about us at the pub, at the cafe, around the around the dinner table. So that's that's my personal <laughs> mission and vision for the foundation. And it's a community foundation and these it's one of seventeen in New Zealand, is that that's right, isn't it? So people giving through the foundation to the causes that they believe in, as put simply, like that's what community foundations typically do. Yeah, yeah, we're all, we're, there's 17 of us. Um, we all are native to our areas and regions. So most of Aotearoa New Zealand is covered by a community foundation now, not quite, but we're getting there as a network. But it is a, it's a place-based uh, model where it's all about local people leaving legacies for their local community. Uh, so it's quite a strong pull, I guess, to when, when you really look at what you can achieve. And you've got a small team. You've got a group of trustees. What's give us an idea of the, the current scale and and a bit about what a typical week looks like at Taranaki Foundation. <laughs> a typical week. <laughs> um, yeah, we are a small team. We're, um, we're actually expanding on Monday. We've got a, a new starter, just a 15-hour role, but a really crucial role. So there's myself and two others, a community engagement manager, team support, and myself. But yeah, we do have a trust board. And I'd, I'd say a community foundation trust board is quite different to a typical uh, governance, probably sort of 20 30% governance, and the rest of it is what is our strategy and how can we grow the foundation because it's all about uh, that growth and, and charge towards self-sustainability. I guess one of the challenges for community foundations is our remit is really broad and not all community foundations are made the same. Uh, they're not all equal in terms of what their community needs from their foundation. So we do get pulled in hugely different directions, uh, projects, you know, out there talking to professional advisors with donors, supporters, we're a funder as well, so all the community groups get in touch with us. It's a very, very uh, broad and challenging role, but it's it's definitely exciting because what we're doing, you can see the impact. 
it's a North American concept, community foundations, isn't it? Relatively new to New Zealand, but growing. I think it's up over, if you total the total amount between all of the 17 community foundations, it's up over 200 million, which is significant in New Zealand. But is it a concept that people of Taranaki of the region understand? This idea that they may have money which they'll give to an independent trust to give to on their behalf, or I know they have some control also, but is it a concept that people understand? I think it's a concept that people are beginning to understand. Uh, if we go back sort of 17 or 18 years, Stephen Tyndall went across and did some research in Canada and the Americas, like you mentioned, and kicked off New Zealand's community foundation network with Acorn and Tauranga. So uh, it's really a, it's a quite a relatively new concept to what is what I would consider a youngish country uh, in, in modern terms. But in Taranaki, we've been around for six or so years, but we, we did rebrand two years ago, and that rebrand was really crucial to help deliver that educational piece so people could understand. And I think it is catching on. Just some, I'm a chartered accountant, so I do like, do like some statistics. And when I started, we had about $1 million under management. That's funds that are actually we have on under our control. And we're up to almost $3 million and we're looking at hopefully getting into the $5 million section. So that's that's sort of only happened in two years, which is reasonably good growth. And our our bequests pipeline, if I call it that, that's signed up and, and donor donor wishes and wills uh, has grown from 2.5 to almost $7 million in that two-year period. So people are sort of getting or clicking on to how these might work and how they might be able to engage in it. But the key to that is storytelling and actually telling those donor stories so people can understand because it is i think it is definitely a new concept to, to the country and a lot of people do it takes a little while to understand how they could engage yeah because i'm just thinking you're at a say you're at an event and people could view you as a hey, you know taranaki foundation let's talk to josh because he's got access to a whole lot of money on the same time you're you're in there looking for people who would be interested in giving through you um so sort of wearing two hats in some ways yeah, very. Yeah, that is that is a massive pivot point with the foundation because ultimately our existence is to be a funder to give money out to the community based on donor wishes. But as you know, you can't do that if you don't have funds under management. So our strategy at the foundation is really probably eighty percent focused on growth, um, and that's a reflection of our age and size because we do need to to have a growth focus so then the end output is those those local organizations that uh, are seeking grants and assistance and funding to do what they do because you know, that's that that is why we exist but it is difficult because yeah my main goal is to grow the foundation but yeah we do have a, a serious um obligation to help the community again this role you've been there just over two years you had a really interesting interview, didn't you? You, you gave them some home truths at that interview and, and because they had, had a different name and a different brand and a different website. But tell us a bit about the process of, of getting the role, how it came to you and, you know, the, the sort of getting the job process. Yeah, yeah, this is a little bit of a long story, but I'll try and summarise it. Um, I was, at the time, I was, a, well, I still am a chartered accountant, but I was a, in a finance manager type role at TSB Bank here in New Plymouth. And it was, I guess it was a time in my life where I was, I was just looking at what next and I sort of didn't have an answer to that. But I, I, I'm a believer of if you put something out into the universe, you'll generally receive some kind of sign or opportunity. So I was doing a bit of that through my network and just looking around and this job role came up at what was then Tikaraka Foundation. And I remember reading the advert of the job description and I was like, that is a dream job. I get to build this 
big community asset that is going to benefit our region, our people forever. You know, I remember I read it to my wife and she thought I was taking the mickey and said, that's not a real job. And I said it was, and then she said, oh, you'll get that. Um, but I guess the, the slight bit of uh, uncertainty was that it was a you know, chief executive role. I had this big title. I didn't really have a background in charity apart from the Cancer Society. I've been a chartered accountant, but the whole purpose and, and why with the job just aligned so much with what I'm about. And I just went for it, put my best foot forward and um, ended up in the interview process, which was quite nice because I knew, like, as you would know, when you're going for a role, getting in front of people is really important because uh, you can show who you truly are. And I think in a role, any role in, in charity especially, it's very much people-centric and you've really got to show yourself. Like, Obviously, we have our professional sides, but our personal sides are quite blended in today's society, uh, whether people like that or not. It's just sort of the way it is now. Um, but yeah, I tried to show off that personal side to it. And, and um, I had to also up-spec myself with a com- what a community foundation actually is, just so I was fully prepared to have that discussion with a board that were looking for change. Wonderful. And the, the slightly difficult conversation was they threw you a bit of a tough question in there around, what do you think of our website? What do you think of our brand? And you, you had two choices there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wasn't quite ready. Well, yeah, I guess you can only prepare so much for interviews, but <clears throat> I was asked quite a, a, a direct question around what I thought of the brand, the name, the website, and the overall sort of look. And I did have a, a deep breath and a pause, and I thought, I'm just going to go for this because ultimately, if I want this role, I need to fully buy into it. So I gave a bit of a hard truth that the, the website was pretty pretty mediocre, the brand was not that inspiring, quite confusing, but that there was a big opportunity to flip that around and really ramp it up and go from there. The room followed a bit of a pause for that, and then one of the trustees said, well, I'm glad you said that because everyone wanted was thinking that, but no one wanted to say it. So ironically, it was the right thing to say, and I think that probably everyone just probably relaxed a little bit after that as well. And your journey to Taranaki Foundation has been as fascinating. I really want to get into that and unpack that. But your university went to in Wellington. Are you from the region? Are you from Taranaki? Yeah, born and bred at the Taranaki-based hospital. Did primary school and high school at Francis Douglas Memorial College, but did go off to Wellington, Victoria, for... Uh, well, four years, which was amazing. It's a bigger New Plymouth, a smaller album, I call it. And um, yeah, really enjoyed Wellington because it was massively into my sport. And I've clocked up over a hundred appearances at the Caketon, not playing, viewing. <laughs> but um, yeah, really enjoyed Wellington. But New Plymouth and Taranaki's home. My family and my wife's family are all from the region. So yeah, the, a role like this is quite closely uh, aligned with my passions, and and yeah, it just comes naturally. And so out of university, you ended up at PwC as an intern, is that right? And you went on to, to have a role with them? Yeah, I was um, fortunate to get, they used to have Aspire scholarships to school leavers. And I, I picked one of those up quite early on, which meant I did have an internship and went through the system with them and became a graduate and then went on to my chartered accountancy with PwC, which was a great learning ground. And fortunately, we had a PwC in New Plymouth back then. So I, um, I managed to move back home and do my chartered accountancy through that sort of avenue. And have you always been a numbers person? Like, does that make sense to you, that world? Yeah, yeah, I have actually. Um, I actually used to work for New Zealand Cricket as well, which is a little bit random, but I was big into cricket and rugby growing up, and a video analyst role came up with Central Districts Cricket at the time, and through, I guess, it was actually 
a bit of a random sort of way to get there, but um, maybe serendipity. But I ended up in this role as a 16-year-old, which probably a little bit outrageous for a 16-year-old, but I was travelling around the country doing video analysis for the first-class games, and I ended up doing that for 10 years, but that was all statistics, coding of everything that happens in a game, and you would have to engage with coaches, the black caps. There was like the who's of New Zealand cricket from quite a young age, but that was all quite statistical and, and numbers. But I was first exposed to accountancy or banking in particular when I was about 15 or 16 through the TSB CEO of the time. And I saw him in that role as a chartered accountant leading a bank. And I that was the penny drop moment where I thought, oh, I'd like to work at a bank. And, and I, the nostalgia of a vault and all that sort of stuff growing up was like, in my running through my brain so that's probably where the plant uh, the seed was first planted to to be a chartered accountant which is probably not normal for a 15 year old to go i want to be a chartered accountant but that was me doing the role you did with uh, new zealand crickets two things sort of strike me there is one huge amounts of confidence personal confidence to be able to do that role and you would have been quite a unique role as well at the time so you may be more developed overseas but did you have to sort of prove that your ability in that and then did you have to sort of you know be really confident as a human being to do that yeah that video analyst industry in new zealand at the time was quite fledging and the technology was still being developed and changed each year and yeah it was definitely a quite a cool and fast-paced environment to be in but i think i was quite lucky that the person that recommended me for the role from francis douglas Put a, put, probably put a bit of faith in me and, and vouched for me and then I went in there because I didn't have any experience in that. Yeah, maybe a little bit of luck there, but once I got into it, I was sort of morphed into the New Zealand cricket setup and then you got sent around. But like you said, the the opportunity, in hindsight, the opportunities to work in quite a, well, a professional environment with these like Deepak Patel, Stephen Fleming, Chris Kens, like they, are, they were the who's, they were like my... The heroes at the time as well they're the who's who of new zealand cricket uh, and you had to engage with them in a professional capacity if one of them got out they would come and look at their stuff and they would ask you oh what happened there and then and then you're almost giving advice to these people so you know, i did learn quite quick but you'd learn to deal with different people from all sorts of walks of life but at the same time i had to travel the country so i had to learn how to be an adult quite early on but yeah in hindsight i think that was a, a quite a key experience over a long time that has probably given me a lot of skills yeah, and I imagine the propensity to make a mistake was quite high. Any Looking back, any moments you think, wow, I really grew as a person that day? Yeah, quite a few, actually. It was a pretty stressful job, only in terms of you would have to set a camera up end on, and every ground was different. Some had a stand, Pukekura Park had a terrace, but you would have to run cabling into the terrace and amongst the crowd, and sometimes kids or whoever would pull it out sometimes there'd be rain issues um, it would just drop out um, so every game was quite stressful but you had to really manage your time and you had to have like crisis uh, plans and sometimes you didn't know what that was or if the camera was up on a big scissor lift that was a little bit hard to pull off quickly but I had a few sneaky fullbacks where if you it was like Murphy's Law you'd miss one ball in a whole game and that would be a wicket and sometimes it would it would um, pause and I wouldn't be able to get the computer to kick in, but I'd, I'd have to just watch the ball live with my eyes and I'd be like, don't be wicked, don't be wicked. And it's like, oh, it's a wicket. And it was a, it was a bizarre how it would happen almost every time. But I did develop a little strategy where I could um, work my way around that to, you know, technical issues, technical issues. But um, 
yeah, it was it was high stress environment because a few when players would get out, they would come and try and um, digest and, and analyze what had gone wrong and and whatnot. And you were there right beside them, potentially in the firing line of their anger of the situation. But um, yeah, it was it was a pretty cool job. Being a professional sport and the business of sport, if you like, you know, these and you had a passion and love for sport. Did it make you love sport more, or that did you did you actually think at the time I'd really actually like to going back to sport being sport and and on a go back to my focus on being an accountant like what was the sort of reason for leaving oh i probably didn't explain that but it was because the cricket season's over summer um i managed to through school and university it didn't impact university or school because it was through the summer and then i actually managed to do it for a little bit while i was working as well so i sort of did two jobs um for quite a while there I did. There are opportunities in in that industry over in England and uh, overseas, but it was not something that I wanted to pursue. Sort of, yeah. The chartered, I hadn't had a crack at chartered accountancy, yet, so I read, that was my main purpose. But yeah, it's probably just a. It was a bit of a lucky sort of um, break, I guess, that I managed to have ten years of enjoyment out of. But it did align with my passions, and I think most of my roles have been passion related, which that didn't even feel like work when I was flying around the country. Wonderful. You're working at TSB, so you're going on and studying to for your chartered status, is that right? You you're um, enjoying that part of your life. Yeah, yeah. That was being. I, I went through the the old, the more older school chartered accountancy way of becoming qualified. That ended in a six hour exam, uh, which is quite a long time to do an exam. But I enjoyed that process. I, I do quite like the process of something. I did Ironman a few years ago. And the day you do it, you actually run the race and, and cross the line. That's amazing, but it's the process that leads up to it that I think is important to enjoy because then it generally leads to a better result. But becoming a chartered accountant was definitely challenging, but like any anything where you have to go through a, a set of requirements to be qualified, it, sh- it should be hard because that leads to a better result. When Whatever it is, if you're a builder or a lawyer or an accountant, um, that's how you create better uh, people in that industry yeah and you touched on your connection to the cancer society and that came about through your own diagnosis with cancer yeah so in 2017 when i was diagnosed with hodgkin's lymphoma i had half a year or so of treatment radiation and chemo and when i came out the other side of that i through my experience i thought i had potentially something to offer to the cancer society to help other people that will get diagnosed with cancer because as we know um, there's probably 60 or so New Zealanders today that'll be diagnosed and, and that stat's growing but I had some skills that I thought I'd love to make some change or do something I didn't really know what that was but I just approached them and we went from there but um, when you yeah, often when you get something like cancer that just gets thrown at you and you have to catch it it definitely changes your perspective and lens on life a little bit. And that diagnosis and I guess experiencing symptoms is that still traumatic when you think back to that time? Without downplaying it, um, no. I've how I, I sort of try to operate in life where you know things, good and bad things happen, and we can only control what we control. And if a bad thing does happen, try and work out a way to get through it, or at least get past it in a way that you're happy with. And so I, I try not to let things define me, but. I am quite grateful that I've managed to navigate my cancer journey relatively unscathed in terms of any long-term effects. So no, I'm not I'm not traumatised by it at all. 
there is that like sneaky little fear in the back of the mind that it could return. But the long on five years in remission now, so I am technically cured and I've been discharged from oncology. So that's quite a nice feeling as well. And then you can kind of carry on. But yeah, it is, it's weird. There's like that little tiny ghost that sort of just follows you because yeah, it, is, it is a chapter in my life now. At the point of diagnosis, what was the situation in your life? And like, do you remember the emotions around like it just getting in the way of getting on with your life? Like, what was the situation you were in at the, that point? Yeah. So when I say I'm not scared, I'm not scared. But if I do close my eyes and think about that day I found out, I could almost just transport myself back to that moment. I was, I just traveled overseas for four or so months, returned to New Zealand. And I remember thinking, hmm what next because i'm quite a goal-driven person i like to set something work towards it achieve it and i I didn't really have anything sitting there to achieve and and it was weird and then like cancer popped up and it was almost like here you go have a go at this (laughs) so when that happened i approached it in quite a sporting sort of way that i broke down what i needed to do to get through it like a test match knowing that you know you could lose a test or you could lose a few sessions but you can come back and still win because too many people get cancer and think, oh, this this is it, I'm, I'm going to die, and they don't really fight very hard, which is a sad approach to take. But I, yeah, so it was it kind of filled a gap in my life, which is a weird thing to say, but um, I focused on that for the year, really, and I still tried to work as much as possible and continue sort of in a normal way because I think mindset's really important when you're going through something like that and surrounding myself with a team of people, family, work colleagues that could give me the wraparound support to, to push through it as a team um, even though i had cancer i sort of adopted a, a team approach to beating it if that makes sense yeah and people often talk about this but one of the hardest things people talk about is everyone starts treating you a bit differently did you experience that a little bit at the start just because people don't know what to say to you and so i would just raise it sometimes just to kind of elephant in the room but um and i do like black humor <laughs> Um, so a few times I just pulled out some black humour that was probably (laughs) maybe a little bit offensive but I'm only offending myself Um, and then it just like brought down the room a little bit and one of them I said was because people and this as as we know it's a very open world now and everyone can give their views quite quickly and a lot of people complain about a lot of small stuff that really doesn't matter and I remember someone was complaining about something outside of the situation but i gave this example in a meeting and i said here i like you that person's complaining about that and here i am dying and every and it was like people were a bit shocked oh you can't say that but um then they kind of laughed about it because someone always has something worse going on in their life and sometimes people don't they you just kind of just go through life sometimes and take things for granted yet someone's just been told they've got cancer or they've lost their mother or there's a major major change happening in someone's life yeah good point and in terms of like your ability to be positive in the face of adversity and to you know get into sort of you know problem solving i guess and 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 fighting when you look back to your childhood did that sort of attitude did that come from your parents or was there something about your upbringing that gave you that positive outlook and that ability to fight yeah i definitely think it's from my upbringing i've got a twin sister so we're really close and we Obviously grew up together and did camping trips and had some great experiences, had a really good childhood. And our parents, I guess, instilled quite strong values in us. And my dad's um, always trying to teach me sort of ways to deal with stuff. And 
he's a man, he's very strong on never give up. Sometimes you might have to give a little or give in a little bit, but never give up because there's usually a way forward. Sometimes you can't move forward on your own. You've actually got to take people with you. And you look at anyone that's succeeded, they might have the gold medal at the Olympics, but there's a massive team below them or beside them that's helped them achieve that. Um, So my dad always said, try and surround yourself with people that either like you or that you inspire to be like. And if you can do that, then that's generally a positive sort of situation. Do you get stressed? Are you an emotional person? Like what? Do you stay fairly calm and and see your way through things? I feel like I'm a a calm operator. There's often no point in getting angry because anger doesn't usually lead to anything productive. But yeah, I think you can only control what you can control. And I haven't traditionally been an emotional person, but I think cancer has definitely given me, has made me a bit more emotional in terms of life is so precious and it can change in an instant. And I met people along the way that were sick as well and some of them are still with us but some of them are not and and that definitely makes you think but I think and learn, just learning from other people because I've, I've always sought out mentors and, and people to aspire to be like and I think that helps with um, having a calm sort of view on things if you can see other people operating that have gone down the path before you or that are leaders in the community and go oh that person holds himself quite well how do they do that and how could I sort of not be like them but just take a little bit of gold from who they are? Yeah. One of the things you said a bit, a bit earlier was you actually see cancer as a gift in, in some sort of way. Like you, you, if you did your life again, you, I get the sense that you wouldn't necessarily change a script. Is that true? Yeah, that is true. Um, it's a weird thing to say and I've reflected on that quite a bit in the last few years just with where I've ended up now since I had cancer. And you know, some people might hear this and, and – disagree but cancer has given me so much opportunity that um, I've taken and tried to use to do better or do just do good stuff and I wouldn't change the last five years and and getting cancer because I think that's just a part of who I am now it's it doesn't define me as I said but it's definitely a chapter in my book but hopefully I've got a long book of chapters (laughs) but yeah it's just sharpened my lens on life and and what I want to do and my goal I just want to make a mark um leave a bit of a legacy in terms of other people can hopefully look at be inspired because if we can all inspire each other then we just live in a better place which might sound a little bit philosophical but when you go go through a bit of trauma it it just hones in on what you want to do and how you see things yeah and it led to the establishment of ripple and you're the co-founder of that tell us about ripple Ripple was an idea that came to me in the swimming pool. A lot of my ideas come when I'm doing lengths because there's not a lot else to look at apart from that that line in the middle of the pool. But Ripple was based off my experience of cancer and being a younger person with cancer and having a rare cancer. I didn't actually come across anyone my age while I was having treatment and came out the other side, which I managed to sort of seek support, but not everyone from meeting people has that same sort of avenue to, to go find their own support so i thought well here's an opportunity to create something that can be a self-help grassroots on the ground sort of option for not just cancer patients but those that are sitting alongside that person that has cancer because most cancer support services are all completely patient-centric which is obvious because there's a resource and so the person that has the cancer should obviously get all the support that's available but the mother the the son the work colleague the wife, the, per- the people around that person, there's not a lot. 
So I wanted to create something where those people could go to to engage with other people that are in that position so they can give unfiltered advice to each other on this is actually what happens when you go into this situation. Uh, so th- that was kind of where the idea came from. And then from there, I just raised a ton of money through a fundraising campaign, which I managed to ended up being a castaway on Survivor New Zealand, the TV show. And I had a little bit of profile from that locally. So I, I tried to use that profile to raise $30,000 to kickstart this development of what was then made out to, as an app. Wonderful. And what were the what were the sort of surprising elements of that that you didn't know before you went into that? Like, sounds challenging. So, because you're not a technical person necessarily, but you're trying to create a, a technical response, like an app? Yeah, yeah. It was a baptism of fire. And you might have picked up, I'm a pretty committed person. So when I say I'm going to go do something, I go and do it. And I'd pass the point of no return and I could just see it all there. You could see the vision. You could see that this this is something. There's nothing like it in the cancer industry across all the charities. So that digital service offering for patients is a huge opportunity. Like all situations where you're not the expert in the room, you, you find the expert to bring into the room. And I did that with the Cancer Society. So we had end users. So you nail the user experience or at least get it to a position where you can have a viable product. And then we had developers as well to, to go through that process. And obviously we I had to put a business case together to the Cancer Society to secure the the remaining funding which which we managed to do. But yeah, it was a it was a quite an interesting experience because we created a, an independent brand for Ripple that sits on its own, which had a website, had all the emails. So it was almost like a startup really. It was a fun process to go through, but in hindsight it was hugely time intensive and I probably didn't really think about that too much but yeah it was a massive effort what did you learn about yourself through that process well i I probably learned that anything's possible which is a cliche saying but if you put your mind to something and you have the energy and and the potential then you can totally achieve it and ripple's probably a classic example of that you can go and do that but you do need to seek help and a few others to help you along the way the probably the biggest learning was to win challenges or almost like grenades get thrown and how to work through those and continue along maybe not the exact same path but in the same direction we had a few of those along the way where there were massive spanners thrown into the project with support for the idea trademarks name clashes and things that were quite last minute as well and so i had to engage with a raft of different people from around new zealand to kind of make it happen so Learning to adapt when things don't quite go to plan is probably a key one, and being but being prepared that that could happen at any time. Does one of the challenges for your life in some ways now is that you've been on this heady journey, you've you've ha- had cancer, you've you've beaten it, you you know through that journey you you've developed in that, you've helping people connect, you've been on Survivor, you know I know you people want you to talk, go and talk to them. It sounds, you know, like it's a real, it's an incredible journey. And does it, does the mundane, like the everyday stuff, you know, doing the tax returns, doing the number crunching, does that stuff become harder almost to concentrate on? Or do you become really conscious of how you're using your time and, and what you're going to focus on? Like it has to be something quite engaging and purposeful, like for you now. Yeah, you're right. Um, so as I mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm a chartered accountant and I sit on the New Zealand council for 
chartered accountants, but not as really a number cruncher anymore. I don't really do any of that. But the reason I'm on New Zealand Council is to really help grow the profession, attract people to become a chartered accountant. And to become a chartered accountant now, you don't have to be a number cruncher. Chartered accountants are a lot more than just that. They can be industry leaders, change makers, difference makers. They can be the people that can help drive forward like Aotearoa New Zealand Inc. or a big corporate. It's quite. It's a lot broader than that. So that's probably my sort of why in the chartered accountancy stage. But uh, yeah, anything I do now has to be quite purposeful. So I am a bit more selective because I've found that my time is, there's a lot of demand on it, uh, which is a challenge. And I'm pretty bad at saying no, uh, which can also affect family time and home time because we do have a young child an expanding family and, and quite a busy family life as well. So it is a bit of a balancing act trying to segment professional and personal, uh, especially in these roles because they're so blended uh, these days, which is, I, lo- I like operating like that, but yeah, it brings its own challenge. Yeah. And being a parent was always something you aspired to be? Yeah, I always wanted to be a, a father. Um, growing, yeah, as I mentioned as well, growing up in a, in a loving family, I uh, really, really wanted that for our now little family so yeah being a father is pretty cool and i can't wait to not mold my son but give him the situations environments opportunities to grow into whoever he will become but hopefully teach him along the way and then he'll he'll go and forge his own path in life do you feel optimistic for you know taranaki do you feel optimistic for aotearoa new zealand where are you i'm i'm assuming gonna say yes to this but it's so why do you feel optimistic? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I, I hate negativity. There's moments where you can, I guess, look a little bit like, oh, I'm upset or downtrodden, but I think we should always try and be positive because every challenge is an opportunity. No one gets growth. No one ever built a skyscraper or climb Mount Everest by sitting in their comfort zone. But I, I am quite upbeat. I think Taranaki's in a good spot. Obviously, the economic climate and inflation government uncertainty all of those that long list of things is, is not great for the, the public psyche but in new plymouth we've got very passionate group of leaders corporates funders and individuals that are pretty determined to move the region forward and whatever that looks like and i think new zealand could probably take that approach as well um but that might be blue sky thinking slightly but if we forge ahead with vision then we'll be better off for it and my sort of personal purpose now is to help drive forward Aotearoa New Zealand Inc, which is just making New Zealand move forward, prosper better than it was yesterday. That's sort of yeah, how my mindset is now. Josh Hickford, massive thank you for joining me on Purposely. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing because I sure do. 